Welcome to the Scene and Take podcast, a forum of all things that inspire and motivate me as a content creator and image maker. I'm your host, Indio the Gallerican. The 80s and 90s were my childhood to early adult years and unquestionably shaped who I am today. With movies from the 80s, though, not only did they serve as entertainment, many provided important lessons in my life. One in particular even inspired what I wanted to be when I grew up. Let's get nostalgic with some pics of the most memorable flicks of the 1980s. Joining me to explore this rad list of 80s movies is my baby houseman, my Apollonia, my (laughs) Zamunda queen, my wife of 15 years, Erica with two Ks. Welcome to the podcast, wifey. Thank you. Thank you. It's trying times. We're all locked in, but we're going to make some fun of it. And we want everyone to enjoy themselves. Think back to those 80s times when the movies were corny. The movies were comedic and fun. And yes, some of them even have stereotypes that we want to forget. But at the same time, there were so many flicks that came out of the 80s that were thoroughly enjoyable. And I know, Erica, you have quite a few in your pocket that you remember. And so let's jump right into it. Okay. Uh, Ladies first, what 80s movie? really stands out bar none? Well, there's a few 80s movies that sort of stand out. And looking over the article from Rotten Tomatoes that you sent me, Essential 80s Movies, which I think has about 140 movies on that list. Right. Um, Looking at that list is like one of those things that jumped out at me was this is 10 years, a decade And like at the start of the decade, I'm clearly in my tweens. And then by the end, I'm like approaching my young adulthood coming out of teens. So a lot of the movies on that list resonated with me for a lot of different reasons because they marked a certain time in my life or I have a a certain memory attached. But I think that list that was on Rotten Tomatoes was really white. I mean, there was a lot of movies that I'm looking at it like I never saw that movie or wanted to see it. But some of those movies were rated R. So a lot of those movies I couldn't see anyway. Yeah, and that's another thing, too, that a lot of these movies I didn't end up seeing till later, like right. early 90s right. I when I got older. I think it's the same with me. Maybe like in the next decade, in the 90s, I was able to see some of those movies right. or back, yeah. I miss seeing them in the theater. But when they were on like VHS, I was able to catch them when we were renting them from like Blockbuster and our our neighborhood video store. Or, yeah, the mom and pops that used to be around. Even catching them on HBO when HBO was like the only cable channel. The only cable the show. The only yeah. cable channel, yeah. only cable network. Going back to your point with the Rotten Tomatoes list of 140 essential 80s movies, we know that back then too, there was a little bit of a underrepresentation going on, but then... We'll get into it a little later, but for me, the one person that kind of draws my attention during that time frame was Eddie Murphy. Yes. Right. But he was like the only one, like the yes. only one almost. He right? was like the actor he was hot. of the time. Yeah, right. He, he just hot. sort of transcended all cultures at that point because anything was, it wasn't a movie starring him wasn't necessarily a black, a black movie. movie. Right. It was an Eddie Murphy movie. So and yeah, that was his career in on SNL that kind of catapulted him on the national stage. So right, everybody right. knew him and just loved him for who he was, his comedy. Right. And so, so what are your fees? 
these are my favorites and they're not in, right. this is my list in no specific order. Right. So like number one is not necessarily the num- my number one You're number one, right, right. So I have Purple Rain. I knew that was going to be on your list. <laughs> I mean, Purple Rain stands out for me because it was the first rated R movie that I saw in theaters. Oh. Yes. Do you I remember the theater? I saw with Janice and I believe, and I was actually looking up because I know that I've gone to this theater The last time I was at this theater was probably 2000. So it was kind of still around even in my adult years, but it was on Kings Highway in Brooklyn. So that much I do know. I kind of know the area. I don't know if the theater still exists. When I try to look it up, it could be any number of theaters in Brooklyn. It could be the Nostrand. It could be the Kent. But if it's the Nostrand, then the Nostrand became a porn theater but I don't think it was that one. Yeah, those but, were around in those days. Yes. You don't see those anymore. No, you don't. Which, by the way, none of, none of those showed up no. on these lists. This is not the triple X list. So I lost my keys at that theater, which is like one of the only times I've ever actually truly lost something. And, and I th- think back, and I think that was karma because I wasn't supposed to see Purple Rain. Because my mother said she was going to view it first and then. She had to vet it out. Yeah, she had to vet it out. She was going to give me permission, but I mean, I couldn't wait. It was Prince, it was Purple Rain, and I wanted to see it, you know, before everybody else saw it. So. And your Aunt Janice is your paternal aunt. So she wasn't, you know, she was, she was the cool aunt. She was game. Yes. Yeah, she's the cool aunt. She was cool aunt. Shout out to (laughs) to Aunt Janice. And I mean, everything about Purple Rain and just invokes so many memories. Like, Soundtrack, obviously. Soundtrack, Morris Day and Jerome, wearing Laysen, Paisley print. Yeah, yeah. Apollonia for me, obviously. Yeah. Which you have become my Apollonia. Yeah, don't do that. (laughs) You can leave that out. Edit edit that out. No, that's staying in. So next on my list is E.T. Oh, yes. Let's, let's get into E.T. It's, it's been a while since I've watched E.T. And, and now I'm curious that now that I'm an adult, will I see it differently? Because the draw for me in watching E.T., and I believe I was nine when it came out. Yeah, it was 82 when it came out. So. Okay, so I was not nine. I was 10. The draw for me when E.T. came out is that it was told from the perspective of Henry, of Elliot. It was told from a child's point of view. And every decision made in that movie was largely made by the kids in the movie. That you really didn't see adults until the end. And I mean, you briefly saw their mom, but she wasn't integral to like their story. Everything is really told from Elliot's perspective and his interactions with E.T., so that at the time was really empowering because you didn't often see that or you didn't see movies taken from the child's point of view. Live action. I mean, we saw it in, in Charlie Brown, right? You never saw the adults. And then there yes, was yes. The but that's animated. And right. I think exactly. that people take but live action. Yeah, they take animated animation for granted because yeah. they, you know, they downgrade it. And it's like, oh, that's a child's medium. That's a children's medium. But yes, so live action told from a child's point of view. And I also had that doll that Drew Barrymore, her character Gertie, carries around as a Native American doll. I had that same doll. So there was like that connection too. And and coming into the movie theater and seeing something 
that's like instantly recognizable. It was like, I have that doll. And, and then from that point on just being fully vested in the movie. So I'm curious that now that I'm adult, it has been several years since I've seen it. If it's going to invoke like the same sort of emotions that it did from when I first saw it. Yeah. Just like you were saying with the doll, I mean, that was impactful just because it was for kids of color, something like that represented. She was a cool ass doll. Yeah. E.T. for me, I remember where I saw it. I was at the Lowe's Paradise Theater on the Grand Concourse, which was our creme de la creme theater, a beautiful theater, which now uh, is a church. There I saw E.T. and I remember hearing so much whimpering from other children crying Did you cry? I might have. I think I did. Yeah. I mean, just like everybody else. It's just like laughing is contagious. Crying is contagious. (laughs) (laughs) So, but E.T. was one of those movies that stuck with me because of the kids being the primary cast and, and being at the forefront of the story. And then obviously the story with the extraterrestrial and just him wanting to be with his family and things like that, that just transcended being an alien, human, everything. It was just a, a story that we all could connect it to. It was a human story. Yeah, it was a human story. It's a human story. The AV Club, which is this uh, website that I follow and they, just by the name, they cover everything, you know, audiovisual, but they have a lot of television and film reviews. They have what they've been doing is sort of like an ongoing thing called Popcorn Champs, where they talk about blockbusters, I think going back to to the 1960s. So they have sort of like a nice article doing the backstory on Steven Spielberg and kind of where he was and how E.T. came to be, because it was really born out of a completely different story, another film idea that he had, but he was really thinking about his childhood and that heavily influenced the story we see with E.T. So on else, the other thing on my list is Better Off Dead, which is not a John Hughes movie, but it's very much, it's very quintessential 80s because You know, there's synthesizer in the soundtrack, a lot of 80s fashion and neon and big hair and hairspray. It stars John Cusack. And I mean, the main character's name is Lane Myers. And I mean, if Lane Myers doesn't scream 80s 80s to you, I don't know what does. But that was definitely like a movie that we found at the video store. Because it wasn't a movie that we saw in the theaters or that we had even heard of. And I think that it actually flopped at the box office, but it has now become a cult classic because it was one of those video uh, movie rentals. So it just saw much more success there, sort of like in its second act. But it's a movie that has a lot of classic (laughs) lines like the paper boy on the hunt for his $2 and just that refrain, you know, I want my $2 like throughout the movie. That's, that's a movie that stuck with me because of that. I always look, think back to that being really eighties. I know of it, but I don't remember it. Like I do others, but I remember like the, the cover with Cusack and the sunglasses and all that stuff. So I remember that. Well, he had a lot of movies during that time. So it could be, I mean, you could be confusing it with any number of his movies that he had. There's like One Crazy Summer. There's Say Anything, 
So, you know, the 80s was like his period where he was like, you know, he was doing a lot of work. He yeah. was doing a lot. He was getting a lot of work in, which is, you know, him and other actors like Tom Hanks. I was surprised by the num- the sheer number of movies that Tom Hanks had in the 80s. I mean, not that he doesn't already have an impressive career, but I think of when I think of Tom Hanks, I think of watching him on Bosom Buddies. Right. When he was on TV. When he was on TV dressing in drag. And yeah. just from that point to where he is now is like. That's amazing to have that type of career. I mean, speaking of Tom Hanks, you know, late 80s, 88 with the movie Big, which we tried to get Brandon to watch recently, but he wasn't interested when we gave him the synopsis. And, you know, being 13, I guess he's out of it. But in Big, Tom Hanks plays a 13 year old that obviously, if you haven't seen it, which I doubt, <laughs> Who hasn't other than seen Brandon, it? so I, you know, I won't give the synopsis. But Big is one of those movies that I remember because of the story, in that with him going as a grown up and Tom Hanks being the grown up to the toy industry and to the. Oh, to be in the marketing. Right. And and having the perspective of a child to be able to fully understand what it does for the consumer as opposed to the the person designing it and and thinking that, oh, kids will love this, but they're an adult now and they don't really appreciate it as a kid as much as a kid directly would. I mean, now we have YouTube stars of kids trying out the toys and they single-handedly becoming the go-to person to seeing whether or not something is going to be successful. And this was big. That was the movie. I remember that being one of the, the movies of the eighties that I loved watching and bringing it back to the Bronx, Penny Marshall directed it and she has Bronx roots. And obviously I didn't know that till years later, but it's always good to know that, Oh, somebody from close to home was able to, to do something that we saw on the big screen. Brought up Eddie Murphy before and I, ha- I have Coming to America. Yes, let's talk Coming to America. And what I appreciate now about Coming to America that I didn't understand or, or really took for granted, and we even touched on this, where we said that, you know, you didn't think of an Eddie Murphy movie as being a, necessarily a black movie. You just thought of it as an Eddie Murphy movie. And Coming to America was very much an Eddie Murphy movie and an Arsenio mm-hmm. Hall movie. But it was also a very yeah, black a, movie. Black I cast. mean, the cast, cast is, it was a predominantly black cast. I think I, the only white actor that I remember being in a movie is right. Lee Anderson. Yep. Other than that, there really isn't any other character. I mean, Eddie Murphy actually played an old white man. <laughs> yes, but see, I don't think of that character as being white. I think of no, it as no. being Eddie Murphy and prosthetic. Right. So to me, he wasn't white. He was still. But people didn't know that was Eddie Murphy. Yeah, no, I don't believe that. Everybody knew that it was. They made such a they made such a huge deal when they were marketing the movie and promoting the movie about Eddie Murphy and Arsenio Hall dressing up and doing all of these different characters and playing all of these different parts in the movie. For that reason, I don't think it's necessarily his best movie. But what it just stands out because it was such a, I mean, it was a blockbuster. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it crushed the box office. It made over like $288 million worldwide. It's a huge movie. And to think that, so this is what, 1988? Eight. Mm-hmm. And then we don't have like another movie like that until like Black Panther. I mean, there've been other movies, but they've all been sort of, 
characterize as black movies, but to have sort of like a major release. Going back to coming to America, you had choreography from Paul Abdul. You had the scene, Miss Black Awareness, the pageant, Randy Watson and Sexual Chocolate. And to know now that Coming to America 2 was in the works, but hopefully it'll be coming out soon. And I think the same premise in that Eddie Murphy will be playing multiple characters and and doing kind of the same shtick that he did back then. But obviously now it's going to be him older, and but the most of the cast are going to be there, which is I'm excited to see. Right. So I have this on my list. And I will preface this by saying that this would warrant an entire podcast episode on its own because you and I have fundamental differences about the Star Wars series. <laughs> yes, we do. So I'm going to go on record and say that The Empire Strikes Back is the best movie of the entire series. And that includes all of the nine films, prequels and sequels. This film changed everything. It was it was one of the biggest mouth drops slash cliffhangers of all time. And I think the key here to note is that George Lucas did not write or direct this film like he did with the so-called prequels. Mm-hmm. I'm going to let and you have the mic a little bit before I say anything. Return of the Jedi, no, nineteen eighty-three, no, is no. the best Star Wars episode. No, that would be six if mm, you guys no better. Okay, the thirteen-year-old has spoken. I think, and it's our varying opinions on this one that Return of the Jedi, and I and I get where you at. Empire was a great, is, a great movie. Is yeah, is all right, all right. There was something about the Ewoks that that got me. I don't know why they did, but anyway, we could definitely yes, do a podcast yes. on okay. that. And you I'm see sure there where will be we plen- have fun- fundamental differences <laughs> yes. between you know what is truly the best mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and what is just bleh. and yes, I said. Bleh. Because that was Return of the Jedi. It's not to say that I did not enjoy Return of the Jedi, but coming off of the Empire Strikes Back, that was just the that was the game changer. I mean, that changed how sequels are done because sequels were just sort of, you know, were like the victory lap. Right. You know, you did a sequel when you were trying to like, you capitalize. know, capitalize on the success of the of the first movie. But right. but is it really you know, are they often better than the first movie? No, not until The Empire Strikes Back. And it changed everything. I mean, you had the jaw drop with the Darth Vader reveal. You had Han Solo, Carbon Freeze. I mean, our heroes were struggling and we didn't know what was going to happen to them. Luke lost his hand. Everything, everything was in turmoil. And that's how they ended it. And you were like, what? What is going on? And we had to wait another four years for Return of the Jedi to find out what was going to happen. Maybe it's our our slightly difference in age that... I don't think so. That tweet. I think that we, I think we have a, a, a difference of opinion mm-hmm. where it comes to, obviously, movie quality. <laughs> but I also think that it's no secret that mm-hmm. you are not a Star Wars 
fan. I'm, the I'm way not a super I fan. Am, yeah, I'm not a super. The fan. way I am. Let's let's make that distinction. You are not the Star Wars fan that I am. Mm-hmm. And you know, honestly, had I known this, we might not be right, here. right, right. Hashtag fifteen years later. Fifteen years later. <laughs> See, it's the yin and the yang that have kept us together. Avatar. Yeah, okay, if you want to go with that. <laughs> you want to segue to something that we probably do agree with is the Indiana Jones trifecta of movies, which, again, ties into George Lucas and Steven Spielberg. Do we, though? I don't know. Do we? I don't know. I love Indiana Jones, and you know... From National Treasure, Indiana Jones. I love those types of movies, right? Yes. yes. I think you are a closet anthropologist. <laughs> Maybe, perhaps. I, I just like the treasure hunter type of vibe. And Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark in 81. Then a few years later, we had Temple of Doom. And then to close out the decade in 89, we had The Last Crusade. The Indiana Jones character I fell in love with in Raiders of the Lost Ark and then to see him again in Temple of Doom and The Last Crusade. That to me was something that I always think about when I think about the 80s and when I was a kid. And there is a tie in because there was the Steven Spielberg and George Lucas. Right. And Lawrence Kasdan, who coincidentally wrote The Empire Strikes Back. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He collaborated with George Lucas and Steven Spielberg to write the Indiana Jones movies. So those, yeah, those were definitely some. Is this a segue into your list now? Yeah, we we can go through some of mine too, but yeah, we can we can go back and forth. We can go back and forth. No, no, I want I want to hear what's on this list. I want, I'm ready now. <laughs> you want to hear? Yes, it's your turn. All right. So first, let me talk about the ones that are available on Netflix. If anybody wants to go back and check them out right yeah. now without any you know, well, hiccups. with a Netflix subscription. Yeah, with a Netflix. Who doesn't have a Netflix subscription nowadays? But if you do, then definitely the Indiana Jones trifecta is there. And or trilogy. Trilogy. Well, can you call it a trilogy? It is a trilogy. Yeah, I guess so. Well. Mm. Yeah, exactly. So. The three movies that had the character Indiana Jones. Three of the Indiana Jones. Yes, movies. three of the Indiana Jones movies, which arguably are the the best ones. The first three are available on Netflix. And then this is totally not your lane, but growing up a kid in the Bronx with a whole bunch of guys in the building and in the neighborhood, and we all you know roughhousing each other and everything like that. And you can attest because there was a hip hop group. Wu-Tang Clan that was very influenced by these movies and his martial arts movies of the 80s. One in particular was Return to the 36th Chamber in 1980. If you don't remember, this movie was about a con man that tried to help, good-hearted, but a con man trying to help a dye mill company of workers try to get equal. Did we want uh, I think we did. Yeah, on, It was on Netflix? Yeah, it's been on Netflix. He created scaffolding because he was trying to sneak into the Shaolin Temple. And he kind of learned about the skills of the Shaolin monks by watching them and practicing it. And then he ends up coming up with his own style called scaffolding kung fu because okay. he used to use the yes. bamboo strips. Yes, I, I so you remember vaguely that? remember that. And I remember there being sort of like a fight scene where they fall into the dive vats. 
Right. Right. Okay, yeah. So, He's yeah. Kicking so we did. We, the, the place we did and, see it. Yeah. Yeah. So that one sticks out to me all the time because I remember. We used to just going out to play. We used to just you try used to, to just step like, outside in your Chinese slippers, and Chinese you used to slippers. try to recreate the moves and fall exactly. on your behind. Exactly. Yep. 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 Get smacked up, and parents want to you know want to know why we was just you know red in the face and got dust all over our pants. So that one was definitely one that is on my list of eighty okay. movies that, and it's available on Netflix. We just watched one the other night. We had to introduce <laughs> Brandon to. Police Academy. I don't think we had to. <laughs> of I course think that we had you, to. you were trying to make the argument that Police Academy is a classic. Yeah. And I had never actually seen it. And now that I have, I still don't know why you think it's a classic. Well, Police Academy came out in 1984. Okay. Okay. So that would put me at less than 10. And I probably saw it in and around the time that it came out. Because they had, there was a couple. Um, but wasn't it rated R? It might have been, yeah. I mean, so are you sure that you saw it at the time that it came out? Or is this one of those movies that you probably saw later on? Remember, this is a time when sometimes you watched movies you wasn't supposed to watch because the parents were really oblivious to what. Maybe you- that's what was happening in your house. <laughs> Like I said, I had a lot of friends. I went on record to say that I snuck out one. In the age of VHS and and beta and all that stuff, there was plenty of tapes being passed around on the block that we probably shouldn't have been watching, including Faces of Death. Is your father going to listen to this Yeah, he probably will. And he'll probably laugh because he knew it was happening. So Okay, I... I'm, you know what? You're telling on yourself. So. <laughs> I think I can handle Mr. Harry at this point. Again, he would probably laugh. But Police Academy, which Brandon saw. Brandon, how did you like Police Academy? He wasn't paying attention, right? Because <laughs> it was just not. It was an 80s movie. It was. Yes. It was a it was a comedy. And in those days, comedy was just a little different, right? Just a little. I mean, not to say that there wasn't some, you know, funny moments, but. Right. I think it it was just about those times, too. You can't really... It's not a movie that kind of transcends decades, right? Similarly to one on my list, Revenge of the Nerds. Oh. <laughs> I, I, you Again. know what? I watched all of those movies and, you know, remember kind of laughing. But a, a lot of humor is crude and, yeah. I, and offensive. And, I mean, it was yeah. crude and offensive then, and homophobic. Yeah. And sexist. Racist. Yeah. Racist. Yeah. But and eight, nine year old me. You know, right. I, you didn't know any better. Yeah. It wasn't something. But, you know, the trilams, lambda, lambda, lambda. This just the story of the nerds kind of winning out the jocks. Right. You know, the underdogs, that type of deal. So that to me. Well, that part, you know, is just it's a familiar trope where you yeah. always have sort of like the underdog. And mm-hmm. I mean, that's the same thing in Police Academy. The underdog, you know, they overcome the bullies and the same thing with Revenge of the Nerds. There are a lot of stories like that. And I think that, yes, the producer in the back says it's cliche and it and it is. But I mean, that's what a lot of these movies do. They just repeat a lot of the same familiar tropes. Yeah. Yeah, they do. They do. You know, I got to talk about Johnny Five Alive short circuit. Okay, if you must. <laughs> For me, I mean, that, that movie, I, in case you you don't remember out there, if you're a little young, uh, Short Circuit was uh, about a robot, number five, who was 
programmed to be a military weapon, got struck by lightning, all of a sudden kind of became like this machine learning robot and wanted to be alive, you know, wanted to read books, kind of feel human. And AI. yeah, AI or and, and machine AI. learning as well. But what I remember most and talk about those movies in that time that had those stereotypes and everything else, but you know, Fisher Stevens playing the Indian, you know, tech guy with the accent or whatever. Quietly, it was like kind of the accent that I knew because of my West Indian family. And I just knew that they spoke English in a different way. So back then, you know, 86, 9, 10-year-old me, I wasn't thinking anything of it like that. But right. it was a movie that I loved. And again, it was... One of those things where subconsciously I had never seen outside of a Bollywood movie that, you know, my family would catch here and there. Didn't see like a, a brown person like my dad, who's right. Indo-Guyanese in, in movies. You know, they had the little boy in the Indiana Jones, Asian boy, that was kind of like, to me, a little bit of a, of a caricature. And then all the Indians that played <laughs> in the Indiana Jones, they were all like these old school warriors and, you know. So that was just a little different. This was like a working professional, you know, smart guy or whatever, although his accent was a little, right. little off. So that was one that I remember and kind of, again, because okay. of... Because of that. Yeah. Friday the 13th. Really? I mean, who doesn't remember Friday the 13th? So I watched it recently because around Halloween, they had, I guess on IFC, they had like a marathon of all of the Friday the 13th movies and it's been years since I had seen, I guess, the movie all the way through. And you want to talk about a dumb movie. Very campy. But to see it now, just it's, it, it takes away from what it was back I, then. I watched it. The original came out in 85. I watched it with my best friend. And I mean, we were sitting on the opposite ends of the couch and it was like, really? I mean, how this this movie just defies logic. It just defied logic. I mean, he wasn't in the first movie, he wasn't a supernatural creature. You know, his mom was sort of like revenge killing. And it was just very, it was just very weird. Yeah, it was, it was a campy horror movie. I mean, there was a lot of those in, in, in the eighties, right? You know, you had sleepaway camp, you had all these campy, Away camp. <laughs> it was like all of these. Sleep away camp. I mean, it's memorable because of the curling iron. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> you know that wasn't on my list, but it it, it is it an eighties movie. It was on Rotten Tomatoes list of essential movies. It I was. Remember. It was though. Shout Why? out to uh, Rotten Tomatoes for that one. Why but, it was yeah. essential, I'm still sort of questioning. But I mean. You can't think of sleepaway camp and not think of the curling iron. I think we actually put a curling iron in my brother's bed mm. to kind of scare him because, I mean, the movie was, sleepaway camp was disturbing. See, yeah, it was I disturbing. always messing with Mr. Harley. Shout out to my brother-in-law. What's up, cuñado? One of the movies that I remember going to Lowe's Paradise Theater to see, but then the film, and in those time it was actual film, it was burnt Right. What was the the projector? The burnt projector it. bulb got too hot, and it actually burned. It, yeah, it touched the cellular. It, yeah, it touched it or whatever, and that was Beverly Hills Cop. I was there oh. with my dad, and we went to watch that. I mean, I ended up seeing it not that night, another time, and the movie that they gave everyone who went in to see Beverly Hills Cop 
was The Breakfast Club. So that was your consolation prize. Yeah, that was the consolation. Mm-hmm. So I I don't like The Breakfast Club. I hate everything about that movie because I went to the movies to see Beverly Hills Cop. Okay, and again. It was the time where Eddie Murphy was it. You know, he was funny. You want to talk about one of the tapes that circulated around in secret? That was Eddie Murphy's what? Raw or Delirious? I forget which one. Well, um, what color leather suit? He was wearing was red. Wearing so that was Delirious. That was that was a VHS tape that was circulating around the younger guys because of all of the language and everything. Right. Like, you know. But many of my friends that I grew up with were from Spanish-speaking countries. Their parents didn't speak English, so... You know, but they knew the F-bombs and everything right. else. So we would have to sneak around and, and kind of watch it and, and, and stuff like that. But that was something that I always remember because, one, I had never heard of film burning. And you could see it, like, on the screen. Yeah. It actually yeah, went you, up. It would right? actually yeah. project <laughs> on the screen. It's like, what, what is happening? happening? Yeah. And then it was like, you know, the, the usher comes in. Sorry. And you and saw then, the breakfast. Well, part. I went in to see The Breakfast Club. I was just told. With your father. Yeah. And he was like. Did he stay away? Probably not. Okay. Because I can't see him looking right. at The Breakfast Club, knowing him like I do and enjoying it. So I think he probably took that opportunity to go to sleep. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I didn't want to be there either, but, you know, we had paid our money and that was the only thing that they wasn't giving the refunds or whatever right. they, at the time. Okay. So did Beverly Hills Cop become a favorite after you saw it or? It sure did. You just. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Your memory is just I saw The Breakfast Club instead and I hate that movie. No, Beverly Hills Cop. I remember it because of that situation. But when I did see it, Axel Foley, an iconic character to me, because, again, you talk about representation and things like that. Here's a black man, a detective in Detroit, Detroit, you know, and then going to Beverly Hills and kind of showing them his style of detective work. And, you know, at the time, Eddie Murphy was everything, right? He was he was right. so funny. And, and I just think to his character as being one of those characters that he wasn't going to bow down to anybody and he was going to go after the whole plot was him looking for whoever murdered his friend, right? And it took right. him to to the Beverly Hills area. So my number one, I got to say for me personally. So this is a ranking? No, I had to save the best for last for me because it did give a profound meaning to me. Okay. And that's Top Gun. Okay. My <laughs> Our producer's groaning yeah, in yeah. the back. And I say this because Top Gun had me like sold on wanting to become a pilot. Now, a little background to that is also that throughout the years, Pop Dukes worked in different areas, but he did a lot of quality assurance. For Lockheed. Yeah, and well, the company was bought out by Lockheed, but at the time he worked for a company that did parts for the F-15. And so we were familiar with fighter jets and things like that because he would have like, they would give them little eight by tens of, of the planes and all that stuff. And he would bring them in. And so I was just enamored with all of those things. And then we would have the family field trips for the company. Okay. And we would go to Stewart Air Force Base at the time. Now it's like a regional airport upstate, not too far. And then we would go to West Point, beautiful campus. If you haven't been West Point Academy and we would get into planes and, you know, I'm holding the stick and everything and being inside, seeing the HUD display, all that good stuff. So... That being said, when Top Gun came out, that was it for me. I wanted to be a pilot no matter what. 
And from that point on, right. I had my Commodore 64. We got flight simulator games. Me and my my friend. I'm so happy this is just over. <laughs> Why? My friend Russ would come over. We would play hours uh, on the simulator game. And so that, that was it for me. You know, like Maverick, Goose, Iceman, Viper, all of that. Like the call signs. Obviously, I was Indio already, so... It yes. was, that was the call sign mm-hmm. for me. And, you know, we will make these, these mock-up helmets and, and put our names on it and tags and all that stuff. So that, I don't have to tell you what the plot of the story is, obviously, but Top Gun is like, in terms of that decade, the 80s, my, itself into pop culture. my number one. Yes. Yeah. But the thing is about my aspirations of being a pilot, at that time, me and Heist weren't friends. I was scared of heights and it wasn't until we started going to Playland and Great Adventures and Action Park where there was some places you had to go up and I wasn't going to get punked out by anybody on the block or anything like that. I just had to get over it. And for some reason I did because as I got older and this is probably like after 10, 11 years old we would go up to the roofs of the buildings and that was kind of our playground sometimes. So, you know, and we would look down. This podcast has just become (laughs) like a confession. (laughs) You sneak in movies. (laughs) You have an illegal access to the rooftop of your apartment. It wasn't illegal. It wasn't illegal back then. It wasn't illegal back then because the doors weren't locked. They were open. So, (laughs) Where was your parent supervision? Look, as long as you came home when the light, street lights turned on and you had all your limbs and nothing was broken, you were good. That that was the times back then. So you heard the whistle. There was a whistle that kind of reverberated from your house around the corner and you knew you had to go back upstairs. Right. Okay. So, yeah, these kids don't know about that. No. No, not at all. That's that's pre-cell phone and texting. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> Do you have any? And I, I gave you my number one. I mean, we didn't rank anything, but that was my number one. Do you have uh, any others? That- I don't think I have a number one favorite movie, you know, from any decade, really. I mean, certain movies that I like are, are favorites for me for a lot of different reasons. Some things are just, you know, kind of where I was at the time. You know, like early 90s, I was watching a whole lot of black exploitation movies. From the well, 70s yeah, that you ain't that get I to really watched. watch. And, you know, yeah. I watched yeah, yeah. Braveheart. Like some movies I just kind of like watched over and over again because they just became a comfort to me. And, you know, and then when you watch something over and over again, you learn, you learn the lyrics, the, not the lyrics, but, you know, the, right, the line. Yeah. You know, the Star Wars movies are like that for me. They're a comfort. Yeah. I mean, but, and then I just have like other movies that, you know, that I really just enjoy. Yeah. Let's see some honorable mentions. Tootsie. Remember Tootsie? I do remember Tootsie. Blade Runner. Harrison Blade Runner Ford. I saw. I don't, it doesn't really stand out to yeah. me, but I did see it. Great yeah. cinematography in the in those days. The Natural with Robert Refford. That's was, baseball. Yeah, my other passion, baseball, as you know. So that she's got to have it. Spike yes. Lee. That was one. I mean, I didn't see that till till later. Right. Yeah. Same. Ferris Bueller's Day Off, which Brandon saw not too long ago. Right. Matthew Broderick. 
the Three Amigos, which was right. just like one of those slapsticky yeah. things. But it was, but you know, I, the comedians I liked, of the like day. Steve yeah. Martin. Yeah. I mean, Steve Martin had a lot of movies. Yeah. I, I wanted to look up what year The Jerk came out because The, the jerk, jerk? The Jerk was a movie that I watched like over and over again because there were so many different scenes. Oh, that was, that was 79. That. It's okay. So just. And that was a Bronxite, Carl Reiner. Just uh, just before the decade. Yeah, yeah, just before but the that 80. was, you know. Yeah. Steve Martin, Bernadette Peters. That was like a movie that mm. I remember watching a lot. Yeah. What else do you have? I mean, I have um, a couple. Um, La Bamba. La Bamba. Yeah. Another uh, movie that I saw. Lou Diamond on. Phillips playing Richie Valens. Yes. Gano, who It was a biopic, right? So that was cool. And then again, slapsticky stuff, The Naked Gun. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Naked Gun. Airplane. Airplane. Yeah, all of those. All of those movies that I think. There was if a lot I of comedy re- back then. If I were to rewatch them, I would probably not. Laugh right, hard. right. Laugh, you know, yeah. some of it is more, hey, I'm watching this yeah. and I'm not supposed to, or hey, this is more adult than. Yeah. A lot of that stuff probably went over my head and I just kind of laughed because everybody else was laughing around me and not because I got, you got the you joke. You got the joke, right. Yeah. But I mean, <laughs> thinking back to Airplane, they just did everything with such a straight face. And the joke was just how much stuff they took. Literally, like in the delivery of the lines, that that does it. That's still really funny to me. I have some. I have Xanadu. Oh yeah, that, that, that is. <laughs> which Electric Light Orchestra. I mean, it had Gene Kelly in it. You know, Olivia Newton-John. It's, I mean, it's a musical, and I love it for that reason. But the pro- plot made no sense yeah. whatsoever. Yeah. I have the Highlander because yes, there can the be Highlander. one. Right, right. Which uh, shot a scene at our buddy Justin McManus's bar. And Peter I mean, McManus and that Cafe. had several, and that had several, you know, movies that came after it. Yeah. Christopher Lambert and that. Mm-hmm. Gremlins. Yes, Gremlins. That was definitely a good one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Lethal, Lethal Weapon. Weapon that on to other sequels and that right, well, yeah. that was good. Poltergeist. Poltergeist. Which uh, the rumor is that Steven Spielberg may have ghost directed that. Mm. Like another director. But he wrote and produced it. And that coincidentally came out of E.T. That was one of the other stories that he was working on at the right. same time he was doing E.T. Yeah. That was really scary. No, I don't think I... Saw that in that time frame, 82, 83, because that's when we had lived in Anchorage. It's probably a few years later when I saw it and still it was like not watching it. We saw, we saw that know, in the movie, we saw that in the movie face. theater up in Cape Cod. So we saw that in the summer. And I remember being, re- everybody in the movie theater was really, really scared. I don't yeah. think that the sequels to the original Poltergeist I don't remember those as well. Yeah, I don't either. Uh, see what else? I have the Untouchables. Oh yeah, yeah. And I saw that also with my aunt Jazz. I saw a lot of movies with my aunt, mm-hmm. but we went to the theater in Times Square, and I think we saw that like we saw that movie late. 
Ooh, like that, an, and that, that was when Times Square was the red light district. Seedy. So <laughs> at a, red at light a theater in Times Square, and I think we came out like at one o'clock in the morning because it was late. Definitely popping at that time. I believe that the people sitting behind us were doing coke in the theater. Oh wow! Well, that was you know that was like having Jolly Ranchers back then. What doing coke in the theater? Yeah, it was, it was candy. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Okay. I mean, anyway. do you remember Times Square in those days? It was yes. crazy. Yes. Yes, I do. Platoon, one of those army movies. No. No, you don't remember that one. I mean, I obviously familiar with the name, but yeah. I didn't see it. I wasn't Full into, Metal Jacket. Like no. they had a couple of like war movies. You wasn't know, that, into those types of movies. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. But I did see Predator. Oh, yeah. Predator, Commando. If it bleeds, we can mm-hmm. kill it. Yeah. That's the memorable <laughs> line from Predator with Arnold. Yep, Arnold. And like to cap off the decade, you had Tim Burton's Batman with Michael Keaton. And yes. famously, uh, Nicholson playing the Joker. Yes, and Prince did the soundtrack. Yes, yes, uh, which was kind of... So I have some other one. Here, I have Scarface. Of course, Scarface, which, you know, in the hood, that was like. I had like a, (laughs) we watched like a bootleg VHS copy of it. And it was like eight hours long. (laughs) And you could only see it like late at night. Yeah. Yeah. Brian De Palma's Scarface, famously with Al Pacino playing Tony Montana. That, uh, Michelle Pfeiffer was in it. I mean, again, that is Probably one of the movies that every person in the neighborhood saw. So they was always trying to like emulate, you know, right. the characters for all the wrong reasons, obviously. Right. But I remember the older, you know, the older siblings that were a few years older. They are the ones that really try to personify the characters and, you know, started cutting up. Yes. And because you, <laughs> you could be a drug runner. <laughs> they probably were. At like, Tony Montana's level. Yeah. You know, I mean, well, you know, at least at their aspirations of doing that. And they were at the time, like you kind of knew the dudes that were riding in the nice cars or whatever. They would use the teenagers to, you know, yeah, no. move stuff I'm, around. I mean, I'm, you know, not, was, I'm not, I think that reaching for, for Scarface levels were, were, were very aspirational. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's, for sure. that's what I'm giggling about. <laughs> not yeah. that they were, that they weren't drug. Anyway, what I have <laughs> the last dragon. Oh, how can we forget? Yeah, I, I'm really surprised that you don't have that on your list. Yeah, that's that's one that I, I truly did not, you know, I wonder why. But The Last Dragon was definitely one of those movies. Vanity, you know, <laughs> Time Mac. Yes, okay. Which, again, to have this person of color so, kind of so doing this the thing. The rumor at the time after The Last Dragon came out was that Time Mac was dating someone that went to my high school, was dating one of the drama majors at LaGuardia. Oh. So there was always a chance that like that after school that chance you would you like run into him <laughs> at dismissal or something like that. Right. But if I knew that, you know, this podcast episode was going to be sort of like a, a memory lane of all of your movie crushes, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think that I would have <laughs> signed on as a guest. <laughs> all my movie crushes as an eight to 10 year old. You know, <laughs> right? Jennifer Beals, Ray Dong Chong, Van- yeah. Vanity. I mean, you got good taste. I know that. Well, I married you. I, I have good I taste. I said you have good taste. Mm-hmm. I know that. Yes, yes. Moving on. Yes. RoboCop. All you. You don't remember RoboCop? Yes. 
Peter Weller? Yes, but... That one was, you know, it, it was... It was okay. Yeah, but we remember it because it was just like crazy. You know, the dude got shot up and killed, you know, and then all of a sudden it I becomes RoboCop. you know, like a, a guy thing. It, perhaps, perhaps. You know, just like all of the war movies, Full Metal Jacket, Platoon. Yeah. That's like a like a guy thing. Not to say that I have all romantic comedies right. on my list, but yeah. certain movies were definitely, you know, a certain audience. Mm-hmm. And RoboCop, which is, while I saw it, I mean, that's not like, oh, yeah, that's a favorite. Yeah, yeah. A Nightmare on Elm Street? No. Hmm. And we will <laughs> never speak. Of this again. <laughs> and on the, the the 180 of that, A Christmas Story, which Ooh, is iconic. Yes, yeah. That's like that's an iconic, you know, Peter Billingsley and the yes, crew. That's, that's, that's a definite comfort movie. That's the movie that I look forward to watching every... We watch it, yeah. We watch we it every watch year. We watch it every holiday we season, every but I, you know, I wait for the season so that I can see yeah. that movie because I enjoy, I enjoy that movie so much. Yeah. And it never... Gets old. Yeah. Look, this decade had so many movies. We can we can be here for days, but I think IMDb says there were five hundred and ninety six movies, at least per their database, right. released in the nineteen eighties. And I'm sure that doesn't is not inclusive of all of the movies that came out. Right. I'm sure we we missed a whole bunch that those out there in the audience would want to discuss, but. I'm going to give one more, and you're going to laugh at this one, of course, but you, you sometimes Because I laugh do. at everything you say? Yeah, exactly. Okay. The never-ending story. Yep. <laughs> Brandon, the producer, uh, sighs back there, too. <laughs> <laughs> Look, this was fantasy movie, and, you know, there was just something about the imagination of a young boy going into this kind of fantasy land. It was, it was fun. It was whimsical whimsical yeah it was whimsical it was whimsical okay yes i i don't see you as a whimsical type <laughs> guy look this came out in the 80s yes, remember, yes. remember okay. the time so frame child indio child was indio. whimsical a little bit i was a nerd you know and i was whimsical a little bit i was a little again old. this is like your confession i love this <laughs> love this <laughs> Oh wait, 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 wait! I, I do have oh, to mention one more, oh, one more, okay, one more. Okay, you you love this one, the Goonies. We didn't we, we didn't mention the Goonies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I see where you're not into this one, but you know it was a band this, of this misfits. This is like the recall that, you know, back to National Treasure and Indiana Jones, a young maybe, child seeking maybe. adventure. True, true, yeah. You know, we did it in our way in yes. in, in the community. <laughs> As the stories that I've I've yes, told you. In the abandoned buildings. <laughs> hey, you know, it was the Bronx. Play, you know. What were you playing? Manhunter? We called Manhunt. It was called Manhunt. Oh, Manhunt. Yeah. Oh, and, and I have Manhunt. It was hide and go seek. I have Manhunter on my list, mm-hmm. you know, as I mentioned, because Manhunter came out in nineteen eighty six. It was directed by Michael Mann. It started starring William Peterson, who went on to CSI fame. Mm-hmm. And it was based on Thomas Harris's book, Red Dragon, which introduced Hannibal Lecter. Oh, yes. But Manhunter is really loosely based on, the movie Manhunter is really loosely based on the book Red Dragon. What I 
remember the most about the movie is that this sort of predated Miami Vice. Right. And the look and style of Michael Mann, you know, carried over into like what would be the Miami Vice aesthetic. Right. But Manhunter was your, and Jan Hammer's synthesized soundtrack. So, yes. Very synthesizing time frame. Very 80s drama with the synth soundtrack. Yes. Well, I want to move on into what I call the speed ramp. Okay. This is the portion of the show where I'm going to just do some Q&A rapid fire style where the first thing that pops up in your mind. Okay. Give it to me. Sure. Cool. And I think you might have actually answered this already, but what movie can you watch over and over again? I mean, there's a few, but I mean, anything from Harry Potter or Star Wars, I could watch over and over again and really never get tired of any of them. It's like once they're on, it's sort of like fall down a rabbit hole and I'm like stuck. Okay. And we spoke about different genres, but is there a genre of film you mostly gravitate to? No. I like a lot of fantasy, maybe not whimsical fantasy. Right, right. Certainly sci-fi fantasy. I don't like horror, as you know. Mm-hmm. I'm not a big romantic comedy person either, but I do like comedies. And I mean, some, I, I wouldn't say I like any period pieces either, but I, I, I would safely say like sci-fi and fantasy. Right, right. Okay. What, you know, we've been watching a lot of TV. Yes. Being that we're sheltered in here. But what TV series would you recommend to someone right now, like to watch right now? Hentified. Hentified, yeah. That is a really yes. funny one. On Netflix. Yeah. It's an episodic. It was, it's 10 episodes, right? We're almost done yes. with the, the first season. But that's a really good one, Hentified. Let's see. All right. Since you heard about mine, what was one of your childhood celebrity crushes? Hmm. Am I, do I have to stay within the 80s? No, childhood, your childhood. Childhood. I mean, I I like Michael Jackson. I went through that. I guess I went through my little Prince period. Okay. Trying to think if there was like any actors that kind of stood out. Not really. I'm sure if I were to like, pull out my old diaries no, uh, I would like oh my god and I like well it. yeah mostly musical artists right yeah 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 not so not so many actors really like right yeah no but I just said celebrity yeah hey, anybody that you you know inquiring minds want to know an adult celebrity crush who do you have a currently? crush currently yeah currently I, I know this is your confessional episode. It's not mine. <laughs> no, uh, other than Dwayne The Rock Johnson, which you... I mean, Dwayne The Rock Johnson is really just very nice to look at. Mm-hmm. Do I need a hall pass? No. Okay. We isn't going to give you one anyway. I don't if you could one. be, <laughs> If you could be a background actor on any film ever, which film set would you love to be on? Ooh, that's a really good question. Huh. Ooh, I guess Empire Strikes Back. I mean, that's like a coveted spot to be an extra on any of those movies because all of... Were all of those filmed in England? At Pinewood? They were. You know, and then other 
places around the globe. Right, right. But for the most part, it said Pinewood. Yeah. That's such a covet. Even the extra roles are so coveted now because the productions of any of the movies have been so hush hush. Right. To find out anything yeah, yeah, is yeah. like huge. Yeah. So. yeah. so, speaking of franchises, would you consider that your best movie franchise? Or what would be your best movie franchise? Yeah, I think the Star Wars. Star Wars series. Series is like the best movie franchise. I mean, and that is just looking at it as a from a collective because each movie has its own merits obviously obviously the jewel being the empire strikes back and mm-hmm. all of the others sort of just fall to the wayside right, right, right. yeah 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 yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. but right, you right. know they have iconic scenes and and certainly you know as a collective yeah all right cool so my last one Will you ever say Candyman five times? No! Oh, it's five. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, how is it not three? That's super cliche. You got to watch the movie to know. You got to say it five times. I don't want PTSD like mommy. Oh, my goodness. Well. That was so dirty. That And was, so low. <laughs> that was the speed ramp. You see if I do another episode now. Well, this was fun, though. I it actually had fun. fun. I, I, to thank you for joining, you know, in these times. I think this was uh, super cool to do. Brandon wants to move in from the producer role and, and be on. Well, we did a movie review. We saw Sonic and we talked about that. Yeah. Well, thanks again, Erica, for being on the podcast. Had fun going back in the day to the 80s films. And I just want to thank you. Thank you. And I just want to take this opportunity to thank all on the front lines, the hospital staffs, the doctors, yes. the nurses, first responders, the delivery folks, the home the health aides, MVPs. the real MVPs. We now know who is essential in these things. All the super intelligent scientists that are working tirelessly to help you know combat this virus. It's never easy running towards a crisis, but all of you forge ahead at full speed. And for that, we appreciate your service and your sacrifice. So this has been a great one. Catch us on the next one. This is Indio, the Guy Rican for Scene and Take Podcast. Catch you on the next one. Peace. <laughs>